The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is the episode for the 28th of November, 2013, in which we discuss how context influences learning. So, Adam, were you better at project courses or purely abstract courses? Well, I'd have to say absolutely resoundingly, I was far better at the uh, project or the lab-based courses where I got to actually see what I was working on. Yeah, me too. And, and so what were your favorite lab courses in, in school? Well, uh, I rather liked uh, bituminous materials, Ooh. Where we, yeah, which is really fancy word for asphalt or blacktop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's uh, good. And so what was it about the lab courses that sort of uh, got your juices flowing that, that didn't happen in the abstract courses? Well, uh, it just had a, a very real-world application of this is something people in industry actually have to do. And then mm -hmm. at the output of the whole, the whole thing, you get a paper, and that says something that could actually be used to build a real road in real life, something yeah. useful. Like, I need four inches of asphalt here. Yeah, well, I know that not everybody's that way. Some people are just great, uh, you know, mathematicians, and they understand stuff from an abstract uh, perspective. And I just was never one of those guys. I, I always needed some sort of application for me to really get my teeth into what was going on. You know, so so there are people on both sides. There are those that are can operate in a, a uh, an abstract world, but those are those, there are those of us that really need some sort of... Uh, context to put us into uh, into what's happening to for things to have meaning. And that's one of the issues that we want to talk about today is the importance of context when we're trying to learn. And uh, so this evening, we've invited someone that's uh, no stranger to the listeners of this podcast. We've invited Chris Gamble to join us once more. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Jeff. Good to be back. This place has grown a little bit. It's kind of a crowded room in here i like it <laughs> well quite, quite comedy in here <laughs> yeah well, you never knew that it was going to take three guys to replace you oh yes i did <laughs> <laughs> so only because too. only because i talk so much <laughs> well well chris uh in addition to uh, continuing to do the uh, the amp hour podcast which you do on a weekly basis you're also involved in a program that you call contextual electronics and so i'm looking forward this evening to learning a little more about that enterprise awesome but before we get to that, let's start with the, the important stuff, and that's beer. Yes. And you, you recently tweeted about uh, having Christmas ale from the Great Lakes Brewing Company. And I just want to know what's so special about that brew. Oh, um, well, so Great Lakes is a – I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, if people don't uh, remember – uh, it's a local brewing company with lots of whimsical titles like the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is a brewery or a uh, ship that sunk in Lake Erie. And there's the Burning River IPA because the Cuyahoga River caught on fire very hilariously. <laughs> um, but Christmas ale is just this really good winter ale, uh, spiced ale. And, it's got uh, some honey in there too, right? I think so. Yeah, it's it's just a it's like a flavor explosion in your mouth. And if people are ever interested in in trying it, there's actually a way that uh, people do it around here, where you actually line the edge of the glass with uh, cinnamon and sugar as well, 
and uh, that just makes it pop even more. It's a hangover waiting to happen, but <laughs> it's, it's, worth, it's worth it. I know what I'm trying this Christmas. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very good. And so, is this an annual tradition in the Gamble household? Uh, well, beer is definitely an annual tradition, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, not not particularly. It's just uh, you know, Cle- Cleveland thing. You, you tweeted so fondly about it. I didn't know whether this is something you'd had from your past. And were- it's very hard to get. It's uh, you know, if you're outside of Cleveland, they started distributing more outside of Cleveland. But once you've had it, you'll chase it down again. So. I'm not sure if this still holds true, but I was at a beer dinner with Great Lakes back in the winter of 09, and um, they mentioned that when it comes out in Cleveland, it outsells every other beer, including Budweiser and you know Coors for about a week. Yeah, that's right. So and it keeps coming out demand. earlier. Yeah, there's just that much demand for it. Yeah, it makes up for 25% of their sales of the year. It's just that wow. beer, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a really impressive facility too. From an engineering standpoint, you can actually walk by. Uh, they have like a, a very large facility. You can take tours and everything, and you know the control systems they have in place and the huge, um, uh, what are they called? Like canisters or whatever, whatever they are for actually brewing. I'm not a, I'm not a home brewer, so. Well, we can ask Adam in that case. He he has some experience doing brewing. Uh, oh. the fermenters or the the um, brew house. Yeah, one of those things, you know. Yeah, one of those chemicals. two things. I, I don't know which one you're talking I'm about. I'm sure there's those. some chemical engineers listening to <laughs> and they probably steel drums. Yeah, big the big the big shiny things where yeah, yeah. the deliciousness comes from. Yeah, those. Yeah, the fermenters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have I have pictures I took last time I was walking by there. So, uh Jeff, I can if you remind me I'll send them to you. Oh, great. That'd be terrific. Yeah. That'd be terrific. I I noticed that I, I had uh, searched the web and there was I came across a magazine called Draft uh that apparently is a uh, dedicated to issues of the uh, the beer world and they they had a feature on the 25 beers of christmas and mm-hmm. i thought well certainly you know with this great lakes beer being so important in in the world of chris gamble that they would have some <laughs> mention of it in in this article but alas they did list 25 beers but uh, the uh, the christmas ale was not one of them <laughs> well well the secret's safe that's fine with me more for me man <laughs> uh, but i'm i'm actually shocked by how many engineers are you you know like it's it's actually a great engineering problem you know it's like a measured recipe and you know you can there's room for play in there and creativity that it seems like a very good hobby for people that are interested in engineering or who are engineers i know a lot mm-hmm. of people who are gotten into the the uh you know into homebrewing and then the control systems as well you know a lot of people are making their own controllers their own heaters that kind of thing measurement uh, equipment that kind of thing yeah i've even seen some cooling jackets on i don't know if it was kickstarter or indigo uh that had uh, somebody that was giving uh jackets for making uh was it pilsners that require the the cold brewing t- uh, temperatures yep any lot fermenting yeast yeah so, that's great well actually the uh the german brewery master brewing program is actually a master's in engineering. Really? It's That's awesome. It's taught out um, the uh, Weinstefan uh, Engineering School in Munich. Yeah, that probably has to do the, uh, what's it, the Bavarian Brewing Code or whatever? The Reinheitsgebot. <laughs> Don't ask <laughs> yeah. me to spell it, but yeah, it's the right, Reinheitsgebot. Right. There's, there's an umlaut in there probably, right? Yeah. The, the Bavarian purity laws, if you don't want to go with that one. That's easier, yeah. But there's yes. only three ingredients, water, hops, and barley. Yes. Yeast. Jeff, I think we're going to take a left and turn yeast. here. I think this is going to be the, uh, the, the topic of the show. <laughs> I, I, the I am okay podcast. with this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, we've got to get a beer engineer on the show. If, there, if such a creature exists, we have to talk to this person. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll okay. do my best to find one. My wife's in the beer industry, so I'll have her there put some feelers out. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. Terrific. Well, let's, uh, let's see if we can, uh, turn this thing back onto, uh, onto course. And, I have so uh, many more fun facts. <laughs> oh, do you? Well, go ahead. Give us no, one more no, fun no. fact. We'll be here for three hours. We'll break Chris's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this as well. I think, I think this should be a whole show. I think I know some people show. too. Yeah. Surely, surely the, con- yeah, like all, all of the different aspects that I think you just found another show here, Jeff. So yeah. excellent. Yeah. Maybe the podcast number two. Show. <laughs> Thursday are, nights, same there cast, are a bu- just Yeah. <laughs> there are a bunch of uh, beer podcasts too. So yeah. yeah, actually, I think a beer podcast just started in Buffalo too, Chris. I can't remember. There the we name. go. That's right. <laughs> Buffalo. So, Chris, what you're doing these days, though, although you occasionally consume some beer while you're working on it, is not beer related directly. It's electronics related. Can you tell us a little bit about your latest venture? Sure. Well, it's uh, still in progress, actually. Um, so it's launching in January. It's called Contextual Electronics, which you graciously alluded to a couple times by saying context. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> subtle. Yes, it was quite subtle. Master of the segue. Uh, <laughs> hey, if I can't t- toss up a softball, what good am I? Uh, you're great at it, man. So, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so it's a, ten, it's a 10-week course, basically teaching people how to design uh, electronics and uh, printed circuit boards. And it's a, basically a community-based uh, video course. And the interesting thing about it is we're about two-thirds of the way through the course, everybody receives a PCB or printed circuit board, a common one, and then we're all building together. Um, and so it's not just about the design. It's also about the building and the troubleshooting and all mm-hmm. of the tough stuff. It basically grew out of all of the difficulties I had as a student and getting into industry and just, you know, the practical side of education, even the labs that you guys mentioned, you know, the lab classes are often very step one, step two, step three. And, uh, that's just, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking when you get into the working world and you realize that (laughs) there's not even no steps. There's no one there to say, you know, if you, if you come up with your own steps, like if it's right or not, it's just a, it's just a free for all. So, Mm -hmm. um, just trying to get a handle on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just sidetracked for a, a whole half day the other day to figure out my multimeter was reading high, and I have to send it off to be recaled. That's a perfect example. Yeah, I yes. mean, like figuring out how what what, what readings you trust, and figuring out, uh, you know, like like in tr- troubleshooting when you're when you suspect it's a component, and how do you you know you could switch out a component four different times and get four different results. How do you actually then go and verify it is or isn't that component that's actually failing on you? And honestly, it's just a, you know, like learning these divide and conquer methods, all of the troubleshooting, hands-on kind of stuff. Most people learn that in the trenches, you know, getting your hands dirty. And this is just trying to formalize it a little bit because even, you know, I could make the best course in the world, but nothing is going to beat the experience and having that oh crap moment at 1230 in the morning when you're trying to get something done for the next day. Right. <laughs> you're assuming I stay at work until 1230. No, I assume you're working in your basement like I am. <laughs> <laughs> Basements in Raleigh. The soft clay is not good for it. In your attic like I'm in my basement. So. <laughs> <sighs> I know what you're talking about. I'm looking for the unit that says uh, it works when I attach it to the O-scope. Yeah. Oh, like the uh, like because of the capacitance for yeah. an oscilloscope? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like a lot of those kind of things where they're just, you know, you and, and when you get a bunch of engineers, obviously this is the electrical side of things. So, um, but, you know, when you get a bunch of engin- electro engineers together, 
and you start talking about these problems, you get these groans of like, oh, I remember that. You know, everybody has their own experience when they first dealt with it. And yet it's never passed down as a, well, watch out when you do this. It's always a, oh, well, that happened to you too. huh? You know, it's just a, <laughs> it's just something you have to learn. You, you won't, you won't respect the, the experience until you have it and you, and you have to deal with the, um, the problems that it, it causes you, you know, either shipped or de- delayed shipments, uh, money, uh, just frustration, lost hair, gray hairs, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's hard to communicate all these, uh, little tips and tricks because even though it could be the same problem, it could manifest itself in many different ways. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The same. I mean, it, well, it depends how broad you go, right? If you say capacitance, it could be, you know, a thousand different situations, but even, even more specific, you know, like true, it could, it could. Yeah. Well, I, I do switching regulators all day. So, uh, I, I see the same problems over and over again, but it seems like they're new every time because there's always something different where I don't, I don't think it's what I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feedback problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, usually fats, but that's another yeah. sidetrack. Okay. So in, in this entire, you know, sort of general concept of we're going to teach, uh, troubleshooting and we're going to teach some of the, the, I don't know if there's a better term for it, hands-on skills of, of, uh, designing circuits. You, you name the, the course conce- contextual electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously felt that, that some contact was important for people to understand what they were learning. I was actually going for the most difficult to pronounce name that I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> and I was also, I think I got an extra $5 off on domains if I went past 25 characters. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, you had mentioned on, I can't remember whether it was in the tweets or on this podcast, something about context being one of your favorite words. Definitely. Yes. And I, I think it was probably both. I love the word context because it, it really, um, without it, you know, you don't, like you guys were talking about earlier, right? With the being, sitting in class and, you know, learning a new topic in an, in an engineering situation, right? So say you're learning for your transforms. A lot of people have to do that kind of thing where you're learning about how to translate a signal from the time domain to the frequency domain and back. Uh, mm-hmm. that's all well and good. It's very, very difficult math at first. I remember fondly, not fondly, I remember with dread, uh, trying to learn that and just struggling against it, struggling against it. And I remember two months into it, two months into it, my professor not giving us any indication of it, but I'm like, oh my God, it's a frequency now. I get it. Like it takes <laughs> so long to get there. And, and I was talking about this on the Empire the other night, but you know, there's these there's these TV there's these USB based TV tuners where basically you can you can view the entire radio spectrum, well, not the entire radio spectrum, but a, a very significant chunk of the radio spectrum up to like I think six gigahertz. It's like 100 megahertz to two or six gigahertz, so a very significant chunk of the radio spectrum, and and it's right there. Like you're actually seeing you're seeing frequency. And how it actually manifests in a real world con- in a real world context. Mm-hmm. And if someone would have showed me that, and then said, "Let's go do Fourier transforms," because the math here actually allows us to calculate what you're seeing on the screen right now, that would have been a hundred times better. But it never happened. I had to do it on my own. I mean, you could say that there's value in struggling for it, and I do agree that there is value in struggle. Learning is struggle, but you know, having that upfront marker to set your your learning expectations against of i want to learn this because 
I want to understand radio signals, or I want to understand electronics, or I want to understand how a bridge is built, or I want to understand how to do injection molded plastics. You know, all of these things, you know, if you have that up front, it helps motivate you when you are in the trenches trying to battle against math and like, why the hell do I care about this thing? Yeah. So that's why I love context. Yeah. Replace Fourier transforms with electromagnetic fields and you got my college experience. Perfect example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, fields. <laughs> so so I, I have talked to professors about sort of this issue of, you know, how abstract versus how much hands-on. And I think Brian talked about this one time too, about he had talked to professors and they said the same thing that my professor said, which is we don't teach tools. You know, we teach, you know, methods and we teach ideas, but we don't teach tools. Uh, and yet that seems to be a lot of what engineering is, is learning how to use those tools. Right. Well, and, and they, and they say that, and that's, that is true. They are teaching methods, but you know, I haven't had the pleasure of being in the company of many college professors since I left. Uh, but (laughs) my answer to them would be who gives a crap? I mean, like, honestly, if you can't use these methods that, end up inside of tools, then what is the point here? I mean, like, it doesn't have to, like, what they're saying, what they're effectively saying is, I don't have time to teach, to learn, and then go off and teach how to use a very specific tool. But what they do have time for, and wish I, what I wish more, more of them would do, because the best ones do this, is show an example of one tool, and then help extrapolate from there into other tools, and and then it makes the learning easier, but it's just a matter. There's this great book, this ebook that I, I, I purchased when I was getting started with contextual electronics. It's about teaching adults. And it was, mm-hmm. I think it was called actually teaching adults. But basically the author said, you can't understand what it's like to be a beginner when you're an expert and you're at a significant disadvantage. Like people who are beginners teaching other beginners actually have a very big advantage there because you know, when you've been a professor and you've been in the field for 30 years, you don't know how it feels when you're trying and struggling against against a Fourier transform or an electromagnetic field or whatever, any other example there, you mm-hmm. know. And so, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, and yet it's it's probably the most needed in order to keep attention and to keep uh, really people struggling in in that in that in the important stuff, right? You know, Fourier transforms very important concept, right? Uh, Right. I'll try and think there's of other a, examples too. I'm sorry, <laughs> there, there's a professor. There's a professor at Harvard, uh, Eric Mazur, uh, who is very good and won all kinds of teaching awards. But was distressed to see that his, despite the fact he gave great lectures and the students gave him high reviews on his course, uh, they really, when he would give them a uh, inventory, I think it's physics conceptual inventory, something like that, they'd go through. His students didn't score any better than other. Uh, professor students. And uh, so he has gone to what he calls peer instruction, yep. where he basically, he'll talk for five minutes and then he'll have the students turn to one, you know, a partner and discuss the issue with themselves because he finds that they are able to instruct one another far better than he can. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a perfect example of why, of context and, you know, like nothing is better than, you know, getting an explanation from your friend because they know what you're going through. And when the light bulb goes off in their head, uh, they're able to try and do the same for you. And then, you know, you know, that old saying of you never learn anything as good as when you're teaching it. Right. Well, that also counts for students. Right. I wonder if that method allows you to ask the dumb questions that you have in your head and, uh, not in front of the whole class context. 
Yeah, yeah, that's probably true as well. There's, I mean, Which, there's that. That's a great method in general, I think. Yeah, yeah. Admittedly, if you're the expert teaching the class, you know, you might intimidate them so they don't ask those seemingly dumb questions. But that could be holding the kid back for a week until he finally clicks in his head, you know, over a homework problem or cramming for a test. Yeah. Well, and you know, the focus is again another another critique against against schools. Nothing nothing too strong against it because I did go through the school system, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my experience there. But, you know, the focus being on grades, right? And you have people. Um, so so my situation here is, is watching my wife go. She's going back to school and watching her struggle against some of the, the math stuff she's doing. And she's like, well, I just got to get through this. I just got to get through this. And it's like, yeah, I understand that from a school context, right? There's a there's a time limits and there, you, have, you have grades at the end of the term. But ultimately what matters is the actual material. And how do you how do you actually get someone to sit down and learn something? How do you stress that something is going to be super important later in their career in a, in a very broad way? What do you guys think? When they ask if it's going to be on the test, you say, yes, the test of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's hard to know, Chris. I mean, you may never use calculus in your entire engineering career, or you may be one of those few that go into research and you know, basically you're doing applied mathematics and that's what you do all day is doing programming or, or some version of math that, you know, that is your career. So it's hard to say to uh, someone who's midway through their engineering uh, curriculum that you'll use this all the time or you'll, you know, forget about it. You'll never use it at all. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, and and you got to balance that stuff. But I think saying, you know, here's a common application and allowing people to kind of dream around that and then, Hopefully they can glom onto it and say, yeah, that sounds interesting enough for me that that could be a career for me. You know, you kind of inspire people and, and then they, they want to learn the underlying concept. Right. I often find that the dirtier the problem, the more I understand what's going on. So if you if you give somebody, or at least me, if you give me a you know blank sheet, say, do this for for your transform, you know, I may struggle with that. Whereas when it's in the heart of a system where it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're sampling an A to D, you are storing that to RAM, you're performing some sort of a function upon it. And, you know, you're never, you're never just solving as you do for a test where from memory, uh, you know, here's how I execute a convolution. It's always, you always have resources, you always have books, you always have the internet and it's how quickly can you build a big picture view of things. And the big picture can't be separated from the solution space, the board or the, the processor you're using, you know, and the limitations of your A to D's and the requirements. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to kind of ex- extract that stuff. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, when you're, when you're in the thick of it, it, it helps to, helps to motivate you too, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. but. I often find myself when I'm when I'm in the thick of it like that. I I usually fall back more on the practical stuff than I do, you know, and like the conceptual models than I do with the math. So mm-hmm. whatever whatever that ends up meaning for the learning the math. See, I find I'm in the opposite. I do all the the practical stuff, and then when things really look grim is when you start pulling out the math and figuring out where your uh, you know rules of thumb started to lead you astray. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's another that's another common scenario. Yeah, we do that. We do that quite a bit. I had to hack together some 
modifications to a circuit board actually based on some of those obscure topics like, you know, calculus and EM fields uh, type stuff the other day. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's all very top secret. I'd have to kill you if I told you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, there are other people out there that are giving video courses. So you're, what you're doing here isn't new in that regard, but it does seem to be somewhat new, and you've, you seem to have gotten a good response uh, just by the subject area you've selected. Yeah, uh, you know, so so basically because of the amp hour, I've kind of had a little bit of a platform to ask people. Um, and so basically I did a survey and, and right. I asked people about, you know, how they learned about electronics and where they started struggling and all that kind of stuff. And that really helped me kind of form uh, uh, contextual electronics around it. Basically, what where do people have problems? And then I recognized some some of my own struggles in there. I looked around, made sure there was you know to see if there's anything else online already. And and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of resources out there um, that are great, right? I mean, like so Dave, my co-host on the Amp Hour, is a great resource. There's you know Curious Inventor, and there's Ben Krasnow, Jerry Ellsworth, like a lot of the YouTube people, Alan Wolke, like tons mm-hmm. of great people that are, are, are resources on YouTube and, and, and written blogs, that kind of thing. But the thing that kept getting written there was there's nothing that's piecing it all together. Uh, so going from theory to practical, nothing taking it from beginning to end. And that's ultimately what I ended up <laughs> saying is, well, let's do an entire project. Let's show all of it. And, and that's kind of where I landed, um, or am landing, I guess would be a better way to say it because of how long it actually ended up taking me, um, you know, doing all this, all of the different steps and, and trying to show it. And, and actually I think I'm unfortunately digging a little too deep in terms of some of the theory, just cause like any project, you know, when you get into it, there, there's a lot of decisions to be made. Every project is a very long string of decisions mm-hmm. and, and it's not just showing the ones that I made, but trying to explain how other people might make their own decisions. And I started to kind of see why typical education is not necessarily can do this because it's a, it's a matter of, of logistics, but I'm trying anyways. <laughs> so, so, so when you say a matter of logistics, you mean it's, it's a matter of trying to get all the material relayed to the, uh, to the students, or it's a matter of the time it takes to relay that information? A little bit of both. I mean, so the way to think about it is like, remember like the choose your own adventure books back in the day? Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it's like a binary tree, right? So you can go left or you can go right. Okay. Which one do you choose? Yeah. Now you can go left or right. Well, if you look at it from like, if, if you look at what people's expectations are of a learning system, it's, uh, you can go left or right, but left is correct and right is totally wrong. Uh, and then you're at the left one, right? You get everybody to the left side, and then it's like, okay, you can go up or down. Up is the correct answer, but you, you can go down, you'll be wrong, but you're definitely wrong. Well, in a real-world situa- situation, right, there's there's an infinite number of combinations of ways things can go. So, you know, in in the in the context of a circuit board, right? You can, you can make a circuit board, you know, an inch by an inch, or you can make it by a hundred inches by a hundred inches, but you have to decide on something somewhere. And so it's kind of creating those rules of thumb and then applying them. And what it ended up being is I, I have to basically say, here's our problem, go off and try it, struggle against it, and then come back, see how I did it. We'll talk about it. And then we'll move on to the next thing because the logistics of it and the the reality of it is if we want to actually get to building something because building has its own challenges and its own learning experiences, we need to standardize on one thing. Uh, but 
you know, there's still value in people struggling against it and trying, trying different stages in the process. And that must make it difficult to be working, trying to work ahead when you don't know exactly what the reaction of your uh, clients, your students will be. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually really scared because, um, you know, I'm still working on videos and I got about 150 videos in the bag so far. Um, but wow. How, and how about what's the average length? Uh, you know, at the beginning of the course, there were about 10 minutes or so, but as the time went on, it was a lot of real time watching while I did stuff. And, uh, they probably average about 30, 40 minutes now. Wow. It's an insane amount. Wow. It's actually like sitting in class again. <laughs> this is like, this is like sitting over someone, sitting on someone's shoulder effectively and watching what I'm doing, what, what I'm doing. Um, so, so is this sort of an apprenticeship with you? Yeah, I guess that's probably a better way to say it. I mean, but, but at the same time, it's also asking them to, to go, you know, okay, so we're going to be doing this layout of this section today. Um, you know, go off and try it, do it on your own and then come back and sit on my shoulder. Right. And, and it's, it's tough, you know, like it's, I've, it's, it's difficult because it is such a, 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 you know, a chunk of time. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of making up the learning system as I go along because it's, it's trying to kind of balance of, of trying to show all of the mistakes and all of the problems that you experience and ultimately the rip up, right? I mean, you think about and rip up, I mean, like actually backtracking and trying again, that's a big part of engineering. And, and I want to show that, but at the same time, that is really frustrating to watch as a, as a third party, right? I mean, you're going to watch yourself do that and that's annoying. And so if you want to watch me do it, it's like, Oh God, that's annoying too. So, uh, I'm doing kind of this hybrid model of, uh, you know, them, them doing work, watching me do work and then also me summarizing, uh, and trying to, trying to make it convenient for the users. So, Chris, how is the course? How are these courses actually structured? Um, I mean, I see a lot of references on your website to uh, classmates. Uh, is this mm-hmm. going to be a multi-user uh, scheduled event? So, basically, um, there's certain parts of the course that are completely pre-recorded, like the the course, the part of the course on how to use the CAD program that we use, which is an open source program called KiCad, uh, and that stuff's just all there. They can look at it whenever they they want to learn about a very particular topic that's kind of like a lookup library. Um, but then, yeah, the rest is going to be, uh, we have a course starting in January. It'll be, I'm not sure how many people yet, <laughs> hopefully a lot, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, and basically breaking them up, uh, them, them up into groups of eight to 10, uh, and then basically working through units a week at a time. So, you know, it can be asynchronous. There's going to be people, I already know there's going to be people all around the world. And so there's no like scheduled time, but it's like, um, we want to work within a week chunk. We don't want people to go way ahead or fall way behind if we can. So basically take a week, have a, a set of videos and a set of activities in there, and then also have discussions within these groups of eight to 10. So it encourages peer to peer communication versus just, you know, one to many, me being the one, many being the group. Like I said, I, I'm making a lot of this up as I go along because nothing, I mean, like there's, there's a massive open online course, where, right? MOOCs. These are very popular right now. Uh, but they are, uh, you know, they're, they're a good starting point. They're based on, uh, like college classroom where it's a lecturer and then basically there's homeworks and there's discussion boards. But the problem I saw with that is there's no incentive to, to keep going. Right. And, and if you look at the numbers, they, they play out like that. You have huge, I saw the MIT 6.002 electronics course starts at 150,000 people the first day 
and 7,000 people finished the course. The majority of whom were in India and China and didn't have access to normal, uh, you know, higher education. And, and it's just people who were hungry, right? That's what ultimately got them through it. And, uh, and I think that having a social aspect, so having, having groups and having people push one another is important. Having it, uh, you know, having actual participation in the doing, not just in the, the, the problem sets, you know, that kind of thing, like the, having the context before and after, um, so like, here's why we're doing this now, go try it and then come see how, how I did it. So that's kind of like a, a mini flipping of the classroom. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and then I think just the hands-on is going to be the last part. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be a very big challenge, but I think that's going to be, you know, if you're working towards something that you hold in your hand, it's really exciting. Um, and I think that's going to be a key part as well. How, how does your course tackle the, um, debugging aspect of the circuit because i mean you can't assume that your students will have a certain piece of equipment sitting on their bench next to them that you may have right uh actually i can't assume that only because we have a low cost set of recommended equipment and so for people who don't have so basically it's for people that don't already have equipment but i'm trying to keep cost as low as possible on that so having a suggested multimeter having a suggested uh oscilloscope which is actually not a great nothing's great here but you know also teaching tricks on how to how to utilize lower end equipment to get the job done uh so i actually won't be using the nicer equipment i have i'll be using what everybody else is using oh okay that's nice people that have higher end equipment you know i can i can kind of advise there but yeah that that was another you know point of heartburn especially with electronics or any engineering field how do you how do you ensure everyone has the same thing? I think the only way you can really do that is in a field like software, where you assume you know it's a standard install that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what what are you using for an oscilloscope then? Is it a USB one? Uh, it's not a USB one. It's a little DSO Nano. Uh, I think no, it might even right. be a ripoff on a DSO Nano <laughs> one that I found. So. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty small and it's it's not it's not great, but it's you know it gets. Really, it's because we're, we're benefiting from it being low bandwidth, um, you know, not having... I, I started the whole project with, like, these gra- delusions of grandeur of, like, oh, well, we can do really fancy circuits and everything like that. And it's like, well, we have to pick something. Everything's middle of the road. Everything's an engineering decision of how do we balance costs and time, time to learn this stuff and, um, you know, complexity of, of what we're actually working on. And so we've been trying to strike the balance there. And it actually kind of, I erred in the, the side of a little too complex, unfortunately, on the circuits. So. Yeah, you have some and, kind and of how do you uh, know that? measurement platform, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Jeff, I know that because uh, I got a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Um, and, and it's really just a density kind of thing. I can see it by looking at, you know, just my experience with circuit boards. I know that it ended up being more dense than I thought it would be. Um, and, yeah, so it's, you know, I'm going to be very upfront with everybody. You know, there's there's a very good chance you won't be uh, getting everything to work perfectly. There's a chance there will be, you know, bodge wires and, and uh, mistakes in your circuit, mistakes in my circuit. But it's kind of, it kind of has this, like, uh, the shabby chic to it where uh, that's realistic, right? I mean, everybody's first prototype has bodge wires and there's value in learning how to, how to do bodge wires and there's value in learning how to rework circuits. Um, and so hopefully people who take the class understand that, that it's not going to be some, 
you know, iPhone that pops out the other end, but it, it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be something that they, they learned about and they can feel comfortable, not just, not just fixing it and, and getting it built and getting it working, but also, you know, tinkering with it later or taking it and building it into another platform. I seem to recall that you were going to start with a beta test group. Did that, uh, did that come about? It did. It did. I had about, uh, I had about 300 people apply for that and I ended up picking about 30 and they've been helping me out for about eight or ten weeks now. I don't remember if it's how long it's been. Uh, and so that's actually another way I found out about the complexity is that I've seen fall off there just because, you know, one is just uh, life gets in the way, right? I mean, right. Uh, I didn't ask them to pay anything, so there wasn't as any monetary uh, uh, commitment. Commitment, thank you. And um, And then, you know, just as I'm struggling through this, they're struggling through this, it's easy, you know, when you're in the thick of it like that, it's like if there's no other, if there's no social ties to it, if there's no other, you know, uh, thing holding you there, then what's going to, what's, what's really driving you forwards? In, in the case of schools, right, actual schools, you're either paying a lot of money for a diploma or you want the diploma at the end. And mm-hmm. that's the problem with a lot of MOOCs is that you don't have that. You, you have a certificate at the end or the knowledge at the end. Um, and so anyways, the, the beta group has been very, very helpful. I, I don't want to, um, discount that at all because they've helped with every, every single aspect of the site. And, and I, I really hope they stick around for the actual course because they'd be a great resource as well, since they've been going through it with me at the beginning. Sort of TAs, if you will. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the the model there. Well, that might be nice if you have a TA, you know, basically a, a guide for each of your, your groups of eight to 10. Yes, that will definitely uh, allow me to get a little more sleep at night. <laughs> a little bit. And so, how do you uh, how do you plan on doing that? I I know that uh, you want to have uh, you have the spirit of a giving person, and you'd like to be able to share seven hours a day with each one of these people that sign up for this course. But it's not just not practical. How do you get them the help they need to to get through these struggles? Ah. Uh, well, basically, I I tier it through money. Um, that's kind of the thing. So if um, though there's three different tiers, the lowest tier is is what I'm calling audit. So it's just the videos and actually mostly just the uh, looking on the shoulder videos, not necessarily all the edited and not necessarily all the background videos. Mm-hmm. And then the the main tier, which is the middle tier, is kind of all of the edited videos, um, participation and uh, large scale Google Hangouts and that kind of thing. And then the top tier is actually having uh, coaching sessions with me, so having uh, a couple of meetings, make sure you're on track and that kind of thing, and, and having extra support in a, in a separate support forum with priority, that kind of thing. Um, basically, you know, get what you pay for kind of kind of model there. And, you know, there's, there's other ways of, of getting support would be, you know, through peers and that kind of thing, but from a realistic standpoint, that's the only way I can do it is, is by tiering it, so... Did you, did you get a lot of uh, pushback from people when they found out they had to pay? Uh, yeah, I think that happens a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, fr- from like like I said, from a, a, a dedication standpoint, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, measure of of you know you compare it to like a, a, a MOOC. I've signed up for like three MOOCs. I don't think I've touched any of them. Uh, but I know that if I if I took the time to actually pay for something, 
that I would want to get my money's worth. I'd want to, uh, you know, participate and that kind of thing. And so that's nice from a, a driving perspective. I think that's actually a faltering point of MOOCs as much as, as much as they are great to be open to a lot of people. Uh, I think that, you know, because there's no drivers there, that, that kind of hurts them a little bit. Yeah, I think I keep regulating those to my uh, someday pile. Exactly. If exactly. I have time. I don't know, Chris, if you saw that Udacity has uh, announced that it's going to change from college education to workplace education because, well, I don't know if they said it directly, there's no money in offering free college courses. Right. Yeah, and I figured they're all, they're all going to go that way. I mean, it's, it's a t- very tough model. So my other, my other um, reference point here is I have a couple friends who do other, other types of courses like this in, in terms of money. Uh, you know, some do subscription courses. So there's one, there's a great one called Destroy All Software. There's a college buddy who does one with uh, Ruby's on Rail, Ruby on Rails uh, screencasts. And, um, you know, he's very widely subscribed to and, and, but he just, he didn't like the, the, the subscription model basically, because there's that drive to try and get things, you know, there's a focus on, is on, is on quantity, not quality there. Mm. Um, and then another one, uh, uh, sorry, uh, not, it's the guys who do the engineer versus designer podcast, but it's Adam who does the, uh, CAD junkie. And basically that was also a subscription-based program, but now he's switching over. Basically him and Gary are both switching over to, uh, you know, chunked methods where you buy the entire course at once. And, um, you know, basically that allows for autonomy if people want it. So if they want to just download the course and do it on their own, they can. If they, you know, if they want to participate alongside other people, they can. And, and there's always pushback when there's money involved, but, um, Basically, that's the only way I can get it to work. <laughs> right. So. Right. Plus, plus, you've put an awful lot of time into this. I, I know you've been working long hours putting together all these videos. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's not necessarily the only reason to say something should cost money. I think, I think there's, there's other reasons there. I mean, my time is only as much as I <laughs> make it worth it. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I really have enjoyed doing these as well. Um, I'd like to think I'd be able to do it. You know, like like the same kind of it's a, the the other direction, right? Where people are motivated to get a course done if they pay money. Uh, I'm also motivated to get a course done if there there is money at the end. So I guess I guess that's part of it. So um, I don't know. It's just money makes things weird, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Blessing and a curse. Yeah, exactly. It does, but uh, at some point you've got to pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I, I'm hoping that because this kind of content can't be found anywhere else, you know, like there are no college courses that do this. There's some that, that do similar things, uh, you know, like practical hands-on courses. But I tell you, none of them none of them actually teach you a CAD program alongside it. The closest I've found is a recent one. Uh, it's a course that teaches Altium, actually, and then it also teaches uh, uh, digital design alongside it. Um, and I just found about it the other day, so I have to look it up real quick. Uh Fediville uh, Academy, it's called. So, uh, I just found out about it, but it, it looks it looks very similar, and it's nice to know that there's others in the space. I don't think they give you a free seat of Altium, though. They do not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's why I picked uh, open source KiCad. Yes, because it's it's rising popularity. Uh, CERN just announced a uh, their backing of it, and they're actually going to be working on the source code for it, and then. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have access to it. So something that, like that, the software is open source, and so you can transport that around the world without too much difficulty. 
uh, but as you're designing uh, this, the circuit and you're selecting components, how do you deal with the fact that somebody in, uh, you know, Indonesia may be following along and trying to get parts there and somebody in Europe is trying to get parts as well as you trying to do that here in the States? Right. That's a great question. Um, so that's actually something, another thing I considered. And basically, uh, a lot of people asked, well, are you going to do a kit of this kind of thing? You know, like actually piecing together the, the board that I'm, I'm sending people and then why not just send out bags of components? Well, mm-hmm. first off, I'm lazy. So no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is because of imports and because of the time, the logistics of sending out, you know, big bags of components and, and getting through customs and everything like that. I figured that why not actually make it a learning experience of buying from local distributors, trying to find parts. If if you want to, you can try and uh, you know get supplies or get samples from from vendors. You know they'll give free samples to students and everything else like that. Usually in exchange for mail, email addresses, stuff like that. Right. Um, and 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 so basically it turned into another learning experience of shopping for components. Not only you know because it's a part of every single circuit design is you have to go out and you have to buy components. It would be like if you were you know, sourcing a or you know the steel for a an injection molding uh, mold, right? Or if you're uh, talking about asphalt, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find the best dump trucks, right, Adam? <laughs> uh, it's really hard to come up with a good parallel for this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. I'm, Hard hats? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, well, we'll just let it go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, it's part of the learning process as well. And then it also takes care of the, the local, uh, so, you know, lower shipping times, more availability. But then also, you know, the, the idea of, you know, there's there's so many potential learning opportunities that I have to try and limit them as well, right? I have to try and make sure I'm not being unrealistic. But, you know, also just the idea of learning about, part replacements, trying to design in components that are, are, uh, pin compatible and easily readily available, not designing in a purple screw, that kind of idea where, you know, it's, it's so hard to find that, you know, like you, that, that's a, that's a great thing to learn for regular design where you don't want to design in something that's really hard to get or super expensive. And so I've been cost constraining. I've been, you know, pin swap constraining uh, and basically using these as learning experiences because these are things that I've run into. There's a lot of benefit in learning these things. Now, you mentioned that two-thirds of the way, you're, everybody was going to be working on the same printed circuit board. Mm-hmm. How, how, is that because you've all built the same printed circuit board or you're distributing the same circuit board? I'll be distributing the, the same circuit board, everyone. Um, basically, there's a very real chance that if people are following along and, and you know they're following the videos and everything like that, there's a very real chance that their circuit looks completely different from mine. Uh, I've actually already seen that. There, there's a course I did called Getting to Blinky. It's a a seven seven video course on how to build the very first um, small LED blinker circuit, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend people do. It's all free. But even just from that, you know, I was, I was like, oh, this is a simple little circuit. You know, when people send in pictures of it, it'll look exactly the same. Well, even that is just totally different. Uh, you know, people doing their own thing, they want to try different things, and that's great. You know, it's good to try that experimentation. Uh, but when you look at a bigger on a bigger level, it's very realistic that people are going to design their circuit boards completely differently than how I how I am, and that's okay too, right? That's realistic uh, from a you know standpoint. They they might actually find a better way to do it than I do. From mm-hmm. a logistics standpoint, though, if you have if I have a hundred people in the course, which I hope there's hundred people in the course, but I don't know if there will be. Uh, <laughs> if there's hundred people in the course, though, and then. Uh, we all start building together and someone says, well, mine doesn't do anything. 
it's like, oh, well, let me see your board and let's look at that together. And it's like, no, let's, we have to kind of standardize so that not only I can help them, but then they can help each other as well. Um, and so at a certain point, you have to decide to standardize. And because of logistics and getting boards all the way across the world, it actually has to be my board because I have to order it about four weeks prior in order to get it here and then ship it out from here. So there's, yeah, there's been there's been a lot of thinking about the logistics in a shower in the shower in the morning and and going, oh crap, how is this gonna work? <laughs> and we'll see, we'll see if it will. And what's the last third of the course? I mean, once everybody has their printed circuit board, what what do you do with it, and what do you teach them from there to the end? Oh, so uh, so that'll be the actual. So I meant I mentioned you know people order their own parts and that kind of thing. It'll actually be building building different modules on the board and then. Uh, you know, starting them up, showing unit testing for like smaller parts of the circuit, what you should try, and then actually uh, trying to get the whole thing up and running. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a lot, right? Like a third of the course is that. And right. yet I, I can almost guarantee that. <laughs> that can be a course uh, in and of itself. Exactly. A third, you know, whenever you leave a third of the time for troubleshooting, like you look at like a Gantt chart when you're doing projects, right? You're like, oh, well, four weeks for design, four weeks for manufacture, and four weeks for troubleshooting. When in <laughs> fact, it's it's two days for design, three weeks for manufacture, and about 16 months for troubleshooting. You know? like, <laughs> oh, yeah. You can make anything work once. It's when it has to work all the time that the problem comes yeah. in. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and on a wide basis across different people and time zones and, and part types and everything else. And uh, and so basically by the end of the course, it's going to be uh, you know a, a solid chunk of me troubleshooting my board, other people troubleshooting their boards, a lot of Google Hangouts, a lot of, a lot of forum work, that kind of thing. And to be honest, a lot of people catching up because the first you know the first two thirds of the course are going to be pretty dense and uh, people catching up, you know, and kind of trying to get in there and, and finish by the end of the course is going to be, it's going to be a challenge, but I, I hope they can. I hope people stick with it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> it's man. I hope it works. I just hope everything works. Cause it's, it's, it's been really fun working on this stuff. I mean, trying to come up with ideas. I've already got ideas for the next one that I'd like to try and maybe do another session. Uh, after, after the first one's done, maybe try and do a second session. Um, maybe have a second follow-up uh, troubleshooting session if if people can't get it done. Maybe have a follow-up session with actual programming. It's all Arduino-based, so or talks to an Arduino board, trying to get that up and running with the actual programming, talking to the chips. I mean, it's just a like you said, it's an apprentice with me. But uh, you know, a lot of the time I don't know what I'm doing either. So it'll be like trying to figure out stuff together as well. The circuit board stuff I'm I'm pretty solid on, but the you know the programming stuff would be doing that all together and working on it together. And I hope it'll be a, a viable project at the end. I don't know if it actually will be. It'll all be an open source project. It's all open source hardware. Um, all, the, all, the, all the different steps will be on GitHub, um, doing revision control on GitHub. So you'll be able to see the different progression publicly. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> the, the part about not knowing, though, I, th- I think that's part of engineering that doesn't really get talked about much. You know, you're taught as a student, you use this equation in this situation. Oh, yeah. But when you get into industry, you end, somebody dumps a problem on your desk and you go, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is tested a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Have that same reaction five, six times a day, let alone yeah. a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, so I don't know. You know, and the other, the other interesting aspect to all this is that, um, 
I'm looking at this as a hardware engineer, but really the people that I'm targeting for it are software people, are uh, people that are interested in getting into hardware. And so, you know, this could be very, very easily like jumping in and trying to drink from a fire hose. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully by the end, you know, we'll have a, you know, a group of people that feel comfortable with hardware. Um, maybe not a hundred percent working hardware, but, um, I think I'm going to be very upfront with people about, you know, there is a lot of learning to be done, but it's, there's no guarantee of success. And hopefully, hopefully the ones that ex- that excites the most will be the best students. Yeah. Yeah. If you could guarantee it in a 10 week course, then schools would be doing it already. Yeah. That's a great point. Well, life isn't a guarantee <laughs> of success. Right. But, uh, in your beta group, uh, was it mostly software engineers? Uh, yeah, I targeted a lot of software engineers. I, I grabbed some other people that were, uh, uh, hardware engineers just kind of get their perspective, make sure I wasn't doing anything stupid. Uh, but a lot of them were software engineers. Uh, the ones who stuck with it are, were, were software engineers as well. So I'm, I'm really, uh, and not even software engineers, but like, you know, the, you know, looking at like the maker movement and, and the ones who always seem to always seem to be the, 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 the hackerspace members, the ones who are cranking out cool projects. It's always the it guys. I don't know why, but, uh, they're always the ones that are drawn to like Arduinos and BeagleBones and stuff like that. I think the coding background, there's a lot of pent up creative energy there. And, uh, and then when they get into hardware too, they kind of, they bring all that stuff over to the hardware side and, and it seems like it's just a really good combination. And so I, I say that I'm, t- I'm kind of trying to, trying to find advanced Arduino users. That's the ones that I'm really targeting. Uh, and the IT guys need that uh, creative outlet because they're just spending their whole day telling you to reboot all the time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of bugs there. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is going to be the episode we start to get fan mail, and it's all going to be negative directed right. towards me. <laughs> well, you know, it'll be uh, if, if it is IT guys too, though. Like I think that you know, there's there's a strong troubleshooting background there, right? I mean, it's once you see a problem enough, you start to recognize it. You understand to go through steps yeah. and standardize and, and measure and yell at your users if you need to. And, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The same idiot who doesn't know how to turn his monitor on is the same one who always doesn't uh, current limits his supply too low. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. I've only made that mistake like four times this week, you know. There you go. Big deal. Yeah. yeah, no big deal. No, no. It happens to everybody. Now, in addition to your problems and concerns about trying to, you know, the, the pace of the course and the hardware and the shipping – there's also a certain amount of infrastructure uh, in putting this up on the web. How do you handle, you know, the creation of forums and make sure that people are going to be able to, uh, the participants will be able to communicate with one another easily? Uh, well, I basically lean on others, um, and by others I mean like buying my way out of it. I uh, <laughs> did a lot of. I, I'm very used to WordPress from the Amp Hour, from when I was on the Engineering Commons. Uh, you know, a lot of sites I run are WordPress, and right. so basically I just sought out. Um, a lot of infrastructure there. Now, also of benefit is the fact that there's like there's like this whole industry of people who quote unquote sell knowledge online, and uh, I think that's a, a tenable uh, occupation because I don't think a lot of them are actually selling knowledge. I think they're selling uh, snake oil. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of like marketing types that are you know selling marketing courses, and so there's this there's a lot of infrastructure that's already out there of people that are selling courses and and similar type of stuff is just not not quite the same uh it's a little it's it's pretty sham i think uh, <laughs> but anyways it's all it's all there all this the, all the setup is there so that's nice okay were, were your beta users able to use this and 
Were they, yeah, I mean, yeah. did, did they start conversations amongst themselves? Yeah, yeah, there's a huge forum there. Um, it's all based on uh, Buddy Press and BB Press. So it's not like the most, uh, it's not the best forum, but but actually they were really helpful in, in helping me troubleshoot and figure out what works and what doesn't. Like, like you'd be surprised how useless a forum is when you can't see uh, recent posts, right? Like a list of recent posts. But uh, they were very vocal about that, and, and that really helped a lot. So I, I'm very grateful for that. Right. I love Vimeo too. I don't know if I, I've said that publicly or not, but uh, Vimeo is like the best pot, the best video platform I've ever used. It's it's amazing. It's, Having no experience posting videos, what give us a you know a, a quick thumbnail sketch of the difference between working through YouTube and working through Vimeo. I mean, Vimeo is basically just made for professionals. Not saying that I am, but Vimeo is made for professionals. It's, uh, you know, there's just way more controls over, you know, who can see your videos and who can't, which is obviously very good for for this kind of situation. Uh, but then the actual back end quality of it as well, you know, like it's not like you have to upload different. You know, it's just got it really is good for high quality video. Not that I make high quality video either, uh, but every everything about it is just really well done. I just really like it a lot. I felt the need to do that uh, and when you get in you know you talk about a uh you know a paying a paying situation as well where you know i'm now i'm i'm moving from a you know a free situation for a lot of sites like youtube and stuff like that when you start to have business class type of you know licenses and software that you're using you know you're you're expected to pay and often quite a bit and and vimeo is actually really really affordable and so it's just you know it's, it's that that whole package there so I hope to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> and has your uh, co-host on the Amp Hour provided you a little help with the uh, video editing? No, no, no. <laughs> no I did that on my own. <laughs> I mean, he, no, didn't, you, he didn't have any advice on it because he's he's spent an awful lot of his life oh, yeah. recently editing videos. Yeah, yeah. Dave's great about that stuff. He, you know, he does he does give me a lot of advice on stuff. And what I learned from him actually is just you know stuff that any engineer can appreciate. Um, when you're going to be doing something a lot of times in my case, editing video or making videos, you try and, uh, you try and optimize the process. So in my case, um, I try and make it where I have single take videos. So, you know, I pause, I pause in the middle of videos as I'm figuring stuff out. I, I basically try and do it. So if, if I have two different clips I need to push together, I've actually failed. I want to have a single clip of video where it's, it's decent enough at the beginning and end that it's okay to just post that, um, because editing video takes a really long time, and I'd rather be making more videos than mm-hmm. editing videos. Um, yeah. So it's 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 been useful. Speaking of your videos, are you using uh, the Google Glass to make them, or you got another camera? I I have another camera. So I I got Google Glass as part of the Explorers program. Um, I've tried it for electronics. It's actually not great for electronics because of like the close in nature. Google Glass is a very, very wide, wide angle lens. Um, so I use, I use a, a HC V700. It's a Panasonic. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't geek out about camera stuff too much, but I like that one. It was affordable and nice. I'm a it's bargain shopper. Usually <laughs> the number one priority when I shop for two. I think engineers are always cheapskates like us, you know. I prefer frugal. <laughs> right. We optimize, right? Exactly. But I think that's another selling point for like KiCad and stuff like that too, right? It's like if you're telling someone that they can try out a soft piece of software for free and it would be pretty pretty good or, you know, 
you have to definitely buy a $7,000 license. and It'll be really good. It's like, I think most engineers will start at the pretty good. And that's kind of the, another part of the market I'm trying to capture of people that are interested in it, interested in using it for small business or for personal projects and aren't, aren't afraid to, you know, spend a little money to learn it up front and get a project in the other end. And so what's the biggest surprise you've run into as you've uh, plowed through this project? Um, hmm. You know, when you break up designs into uh, component pieces, you know, like you think about like an eight-hour workday or an engineering 10-hour workday. You know, 10 hours is a lot of time. You know, you, you don't necessarily work 10 hours. Usually, you know, you're getting coffee, you're talking to coworkers, that kind of thing. So really, I'd say most workdays have about six usable hours, maybe f- five to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even five to six solid hours a day, you can get a lot done. And, you know, when trying to break up a design and then record videos of each piece there, it's actually really, uh, that was really surprising to me how how long that ends up getting stretched out. I've actually had set a goal myself to do a video a day. And even with that, it's been, I think, four months now of making videos at a video a day. So that that's the 100, 150 videos is basically, uh, you know, 30, 30 extra in there for us from weekends. But I've been pretty good about a video a day. Um, and it's just surprising how, how much it takes to get into it, you know, and, and try and show it and explain it and, and have it be somewhat co- co- coherent rather mm-hmm. um, throughout the process. And so you mentioned another course, maybe, uh, do you have any sort of big, you know, global long-term plans for contextual electronics? Survival. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not really. I mean, I have other project ideas and I'd like to, um, I'd like to keep going. I'd really like, I, I guess the, the other thing that I, I didn't mention is that I'd really like to be able to, um, you know, continue like selling the the package courses on its own without actually like have a course where it's just just watching the videos and doing it on your own versus having a social aspect to it. Um, and so basically, by the end, you know, if I do three years of courses, maybe I have ten courses over that time. I'd love to just have a library of that kind of stuff, and then and then be able to you know keep supporting people on that kind of thing, and then have this this significant library of work. And then hopefully also products at the end where, you know, like they're open source projects and, uh, you know, there's, there's other examples out there. People who do this kind of thing, like dangerous prototypes, they have lots of different open source uh, projects out there. Um, and basically they, they take on a life of their own and then they, they kind of just keep contributing. Community contributes to it. Community receives uh, benefits from it. And I'd, I'd really like to, you know, kind of build up a portfolio of videos and also products. Very nice. When you're not uh, uh, rushing over to the uh, Great Lakes Brewery to uh, pick up their uh, Christmas ale, I, I understand you've occasionally been getting together with some uh, some engineers in the electrical engineering realm to uh, to drink a brew or two and talk about uh, professional careers. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's a meetup group uh, we have in town called Charge Conversation. Uh, basically, you know, get together, like you said, drink some beers, show off uh, show off projects we're working on. But really just the social aspect of, you know, like most people don't think about that for engineers, but we really are social creatures. And especially when there's like gadgets involved and talking to people about stuff we've worked on, you know, you talk to an engineer, they're, they're going to light up about the project they're working on. Um, as I've been blabbering on for an hour now. Um, um, and it's, it's great. I mean, we get together at a local pub and, and just kind of shoot the breeze. It's great. 
Um, and, and actually the big jump has been, I invited a bunch of local vendors who are kind of the, the, the spokes or the, the hubs in the spoken wheel, um, you know, social network that is Cleveland. And then mm-hmm. they're going to tell other people as well. And that helps bring more people in. And then it's just a huge networking opportunity. So I highly, highly recommend the people, you know, try this in their own city or try and find something in their own city that already exists like this, because it's not just a great way to meet people. It's a great way to network and find other opportunities and find other projects to work on in spare time, that kind of thing. And drink beer. <laughs> and and so did you start this knowing that that was what it was going to become or did did just you and a couple of other engineers said hey let's get together for a beer and it became this charge conversation oh yeah. um actually so martin lorton uh who's another youtube guy who just moved to cleveland uh from south africa mm-hmm. um I got, he knew Dave, my co-host on the Amp Hour, and uh, he introduced us, and we got together, and we're like, well, we should do this with other people in town and get together. And so we started that, we started together, and, uh, and it's been growing since. So it's only been about four, four meetups so far, but I could see it getting pretty big, because uh, Cleveland's, you know, got a, a decent amount of people, and I, I can only imagine how big it would get in the Bay Area or out in the, the Triangle, <laughs> like where Carmen is. I mean, there's... Or even Indianapolis, Jeff. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of engineers out there too. Usually, right. it's just different sectors and different areas. So, um, it's all about someone. It's just someone has to do it, and usually that's that's the big uh, hurdle at the beginning is someone saying, "Hey, let's let's try this," and then keeping it going. Yeah. And and how often do you get together? Once a month. Once a month. So n- not bad. You know, second Tuesday every month. Trying to. I think it's second. No, third Tuesday. So just trying to, you know, having a regular schedule is very important as well. As you guys know, for podcasts, same for meetups, that kind of thing. Having having a regular scheduled thing is good because it gets on people's calendar. They start looking forward to it. They think, oh, I'm working on this project. I should get it done for this. You know, having having being able to show it off at this at this meetup. Oh, do people bring projects to the meetup as well? Yeah, yesterday I saw I saw a robot made out of six uh, battery powered drills from Harbor Freight. <laughs> that was a snow a snow plow robot and Definitely it was the scariest thing i've ever that thing had so much torque i thought it was going to eat my leg it like just jumped across the room it was amazing and he's like oh yeah and i'm building another one i'm building something bigger and i'm like oh my god it had like it had like a full 5.8 gigahertz video feed i mean like and sean the guy showing it off he was just like lit up about it. it was so cool you know like and yeah, the whole room, I mean, snow? like, like, uh, not yet. He's still, he's working on the next one, okay. but you know, like the, and it's, it's like a lot of the maker movements like that as well. I mean, like there's just that, that electric atmosphere when people start showing projects and you're, you know, you're having just, you're just getting together and talking about your work. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a really, really great social experience, I think. And I, I hope other people try it. Even if it's just a month, the day a month, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now with the, you had been co-host of this podcast, and hit, you know when you left that, you freed up some time. But I noticed recently some of your podcasts on the Amp Hour have been getting a little longer. And you, re- <laughs> yeah. you recently had a three and a half hour podcast. Well, we're not going that long tonight, are we? <laughs> no, <laughs> of course we are. No. My takeaway from that was that your guests are telling good engineering stories. And, and I just wondered what your thought was on the value of engineering stories. Uh, so as a part-time uh, 
closeted marketing nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin, and he talks always about how how people relate. The humans relate in stories, right? right. And I th- I think that's that is the best way. You know, you talk about context. Stories are built on context. You know, it's not just what happened to me. It's it's everything that happened around when, when what happened to me, right? I mean, it's it's the entire it's the entire situation. And then and then me empathizing with with whatever you're telling me and and placing myself there so I can experience the emotions that you were experiencing and then trying to relate to that. Mm-hmm. Talk about some wank right there. I mean, that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we won't yell at you like Dave does. Yeah, right. That's. I mean, that's. But that's like, like, uh, you know, that's like anthropology and psychology and all the other ologies in there. And but it, it's it's realistic, right? I mean, that's just how how people relate. So I think it's great for engineers to be able to tell their stories and understand, trying to understand others' experiences and learn from them. And so you've already mentioned that we may see a uh, a bit more of contextual engineering, or sorry, contextual electronics and. 2014 maybe a new course or an add-on course uh well yeah uh i i hope to do if <clears throat> if the first one works up i'd like to do four total next year i don't know if that's realistic but four uh, is that cool is that, that seems like a lot <laughs> how do you have time for that many videos um well i think the next course would be a little s- simpler um <laughs> <laughs> this is a resistor divider yeah um, you know, I'd love to do like a switching regulator um, and kind of dive into that a little bit more and get into, you know, maybe like an isolated switcher or something like that. Uh, I think I'd be good up until I run out of things that I already understand and I have to learn them first. Um, so maybe only two courses. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, like it's it's uh, I'd like to do a lot of courses if I can. I'd, I'd, I really have enjoyed this so far and I'm hoping that I'll find some efficiencies as I as I finish up this first course. We'll see. There's an open source project, and I think, Chris, you were the one that, that told me about it the first time, where they were building everything from scratch. I mean, they're basically trying to come up with all the tools they needed to, you know, to build a you know, small village. Oh, the end yeah. of the world, guys. Like, if you had to rebuild. Yeah, open, open source ecology, it's called. There yeah. we go. And, and so is, is do you foresee something like that where you're you're designing your own oscilloscope and designing your own power supply and designing all the the components you need to can you know build up from from ground zero you know that's that is an interesting point it was pointed out to me that that uh tools make a great project because you understand what you like about the tools when you, when you actually get a, a quality piece of of test gear then then you you understand what's great about it uh i don't know if it would just be test gear but it might be yeah tool based uh, but I, no, I'd like to expand into other stuff as well. I mean, not just not just tools. You know, take a Zoolander approach and start the Chris Gamble Center for Kids Who Can't Solder Good and want to learn how to do other things good too. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it needs to be at least three <laughs> times as big. <laughs> there needs to be at least three times as many capacitors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't have any. Long, long-term goals. I'm just trying to get through the first one first. Neat. One video at a time. One video at a time. Well, using my rule of pi, we'll try to take your three-and-a-half-hour podcast and divide by pi, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring this one to a close. If, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, Chris, if they're interested in this contextual electronics program, where do you suggest uh, they go? Well, the first one would be uh, contextualelectronics.com. Uh, if you can spell it, usually Google helps with the spelling. Um, 
But there's actually on there there's on the blog there there's actually that uh, getting the Blinky course that seven seven video course on getting started with KiCad. People are interested. That's a really good test to see if you'd actually be interested in you know the big the bigger course. Um, and then you know I'm on all the usual places. Uh, Twitter is Chris underscore Gamble. Uh, I have a site called ChrisGamble.com, but I don't really use that too much. My podcast is TheAmpower.com. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's a good probably start for pretty pretty people. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can meet them up meet up with you at Cleveland once a month. That's right. Yeah, charge conversations on meetup.com. Uh, I'm everywhere on the web. Uh, yeah, people can look me up if they want to. I'm not hard to find. Right. So. And, and if this goes well, are we going to see the future of contextual mechatronics and contextual pneumatics and contextual hydraulics? And <laughs> I'm working. I'm working on a motor project right now. I'd love to do something with motors, and and I have my CNC mill at home. I'd love to be able to do stuff with machining, but. Uh, no, right now it's just electronics. All right. Guys, we can't end now. I got uh, at least another two hours worth on how do you keep your wife uh, so understanding. I was going to ask that <laughs> question. <laughs> well, her being in school really helps that a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, when she graduates, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, coming back and spending a little time with us here on the Engineering Commons. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me back on and talking about my new project. If you ever want to come back, we'll dust off your old microphone. Okay. That's a deal. (laughs) All right. Have a good evening, Chris. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. All right. Later, Chris. Good night. night. The Engineering Commons is produced by Analog Life, LLC, and Engineering Revision. Theme music by Paul Stevenson. For more info, visit theengineeringcommons.com.